Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. During the previous program, I made mention at the very end of the program about a young man in New York City, Jonathan Narain. Now, Jonathan... I don't know what race, what ethnicity he is, but I know that the people pictured that I saw that were mourning his death included people of color, darker complected. I don't know if he was Middle Eastern or if he was black, meaning of African-American, African lineage and being using the term African-American. One of many terms we've gone through low these years. But he was slaughtered by a destroyer. Whether it was an assassination, I don't know. But the fact that there were a couple exchanges of words between the officer and this destroyer who murdered him makes me think that it may not have been. Instead, it may have been a crime of opportunity. In many of the ambushes, many of the out-and-out assassinations of law enforcement personnel, there's no communication whatsoever other than gunfire and so forth. But in this case, this young man had two exchanges of words with this individual who approached him each time. Jonathan Narain was on his way to work, way early. He had a 5 o'clock shift. He was found, his body was found a quarter till 2 in the morning. He had stopped to pick up breakfast, and this motorcyclist approached him and exchanged words with him. At some point, Officer Narain had made a U-turn and was headed back the other way. There was this exchange of words then. Jonathan continued on for a couple blocks, I believe, to a red light, to a signal, traffic signal. It was red. He stopped. The motorcyclist pulled up beside him, exchanged words again. And then, with Jonathan looking straight ahead... This destroyer shot him in the head. It could have been an out-and-out planned assassination because according to the man who worked with Jonathan, Jonathan had a set routine that he always followed. What was Jonathan's job? He transported inmates from Rikers Island to courtrooms primarily in Brooklyn. So, again, it is very, very likely that he was specifically targeted in advance. But on the other hand, it could have been simply, here is a law enforcement officer in his uniform. It's in the wee hours of the morning. Streets are deserted. Nobody's around. Great time to 
slaughter him for being a law enforcement officer. It's one of those scenarios. I'm not sure which one. But Jonathan was only 27 years of age. And he had, among other things, just taken an exam to become a captain. And he had applied to the New York Police Department and the State Police Department. And according to this man that he worked with, this other correctional officer, he always wanted to be a community person and was a firm believer in right and wrong. Well, here is a vivid example of wrong prevailing, of the evil prevailing against the good. The monstrous devastation wrought by Florence, by Hurricane Florence. I'm going to recount a number of stories extremely briefly. And but just before I do, let me just go back to this case with regard to Jonathan Narain being murdered. This matter of communicating, <laughs> communicating with the destroyer. Not advisable, just not advisable. This is like, this is somewhat similar to the case with Molly Cecilia Tibbetts, whom there has been video footage of and her having words with this fellow who slaughtered her. Just sometimes it is better just no conversation. Now, he was tracking her. He was chasing her. And again, I suspect she was wearing headphones. I referred to this case in the previous program in which a woman wearing headphones had gone into this bank in Cincinnati and had been shot. And there were some that were trying to keep her from going in, and she couldn't hear them because of the headset, the headphones. But Back to Florence. No doubt you have seen mention concerning this precious little one-year-old boy, Caden, who was swept away from his mother by the extremely powerful current of the floodwaters, and he was drowned. And this day and age, the, the things that are communicated via social media, it's just one of the nasty, awful things about social media is that it gives a voice to so many stupid, vicious people. <laughs> I am reminded of the case, uh, perhaps you remember, this law enforcement officer in Los Angeles County, last name Browner, who was a big man of color and who went on a murderous rampage and murdered, among others, an Asian girl that was a outstanding student at UCLA. I, I think that her father was a professor there, is a professor there. He murdered a black or brown law enforcement officer, and a multitude of others. Just this horrible rampage 
that he committed. And I remember seeing mentions from various people who aligned themselves ever so proudly with the so-called Black Lives Matter movement, who damned those whom he murdered and championed him, even though he was murdering those the same race, ethnicity as himself, and Asians and so forth. But again, just social media is full of such things. And even coming from uh, spokespeople, those who considered themselves, put themselves out there as being spokespeople for Black Lives Matter, were coming out with the same exact kind of thing. But comments made concerning this woman, this young woman, 20-year-old woman, single mother, who lost her baby boy, Deja Lee, the things that some said about her on social media are just unconscionable. And maybe they've been said on talk shows. (laughs) But... I'm going to repeat them only to demonstrate how horrible (laughs) these sentiments are. Although I feel for this child, I do not feel for the mother. Really? Well, if you're not feeling for this mother, if you have read anything about what happened and you're not feeling for this mother, then you're not feeling for the child. Those are just words. That's just lip service. You don't care any more about that little boy than you do about his mother. Another marks negligence. Again, unbelievable ignorance and stupidity at the best. But that's, I think, being entirely too kind for them to make statements like this. And these things cut her to the heart. Another one said, mom made a bad decision. I understand them saying that. I absolutely do. But this young woman, she had intended to look in on her grandmother and had not been able to because of the fury of the storm. And here, now, at the time that she went out, The rain was down to nothing. The storm had completely subsided. As far as she could tell, the roads were safe. And she gathered up her little boy and went out to check in on her grandmother. How irresponsible of her. How horrible of her. Right? How unthinking and terrible. You know, like one of these... Horrible, negligent, druggy, you know, so-called parents who has their latest boyfriend there that's beating their children to death and raping their children. This woman was encouraged to allow her baby boy to be aborted when she found that she was pregnant while in high school. She was encouraged to give the baby up for adoption if she had to insist on having this baby. Instead, she carried the baby to term. She gave birth to this baby. She cared for it lovingly. 
as lovingly as any parent could care for their child. But this terrible, monstrous tragedy befell her. I mentioned in the previous program, or the program before that, about this elderly couple in California, in Northern California. And the woman, the wife, she wanted her husband to move their trailer. And I I don't know what the circumstances are pertaining to that, but he hitched up the trailer and they went down the road to move it. And a tire blew out of those under the trailer and an edge, a corner of the trailer, scraped the road, causing sparks which ignited a wildfire that ended up causing massive, massive destruction and which resulted in the deaths of a number of precious people, including a grandmother and her couple grandchildren. A terrible tragedy. But it wasn't a matter of somebody negligently, recklessly causing something. Nor was this far, far from it. And the woman that I mentioned that I made reference to in that story, who is the director of a Carinet Center in Redding, California, she undertook to show love and compassion and forgiveness, even though forgiveness is the wrong term because there was nothing for her to forgive, but towards this elderly couple when she heard about them, when she found out that this woman was absolutely beside herself with grief, I hope that some down here in Charlotte will show the same kind of kindness and compassion and love for this young woman, Deja Lee. Also, with that hurricane, a different story. From Camp Lejeune Marine Corps Base in Jacksonville, North Carolina, a young couple, the wife of which was eight months plus pregnant, great with child, carrying twins. They didn't know what to do, but they finally decided to flee the storm. Now, you could say, well, that was a bad decision. What if? What could have happened with them fleeing the storm? But she was concerned over the need for care, medical care for her babies. And so they fled the storm, and they made it down to St. Augustine, Florida, where her parents lived. And she said of that, when we got in the car, I was really praying that I just made the right choice and everything would just fall into place and we would just make it home really safe with our family and our babies would be okay. 
the babies came into this world less than 24 hours later. Sadie and Scarlett Di Gregorio. And Nicholas and Danielle, they had this white-knuckle drive down to St. Augustine. As he said, the drive was very nerve-wracking. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was more than that. But thankfully, they made it safely. And as a result of that, they were able to spend this time with her parents and with their family and loved ones, which they would not have been able to. They would not have been surrounded by if they had not made that trip. Perhaps you saw the story of this fellow. Oh, I just... Too outstanding, I think. Tony Alsop, a truck driver from Greenback, Tennessee. Well, a while back, when there was a terrible storm, and there were dogs and cats at shelters, and they needed to be rescued, it occurred to him when he heard about what had happened with some of these incidents, he took it upon himself to purchase a bus, purchase an old bus, and strip out all the seats and use it as a means to convey these shelter animals to safety in these terrible circumstances. And he, since that time has so done with Hurricane Irma and Maria. And they said that with regard to Maria, there was no bus. He was feeding horses. And now during this Hurricane Florence. But Tony took it upon himself to do this, chose to do this, despite it costing him time and money money for the bus, money for the dog carriers, cat carriers, and then in addition to that foregone income from not having been, you know, taking loads, trucking. Very good-hearted guy. And he posted on his Facebook site, no one left behind And in a 48-hour period of time, he stopped at the Humane Society of North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the Dillon County, South Carolina Animal Shelter, another one in Orangeburg, South Carolina, the St. Francis Animal Center in Georgetown, South Carolina, rescuing these shelter pets that had nowhere to go, Here on one of them, this one at the Georgetown Center, the St. Francis Animal Center, they said, it's all true. Tony swooped in at 4 a.m. Wednesday morning to pick up our leftovers. The dogs with blocky heads, the ones with heartworm, the ones no one else will ever take. And he got them to safety. Not the most conventional evacuation, but surely the one with the most heart.
and he drove them to Foley, Alabama, where there is a privately run dog shelter, and his friend Angela Ibe Maddox runs that, and they were given baths and spa treatment and cared for, and then he's back headed to help others, drove up all the way to Wilmington, North Carolina, where Florence had made landfall. He said he's heard roads are closed, that everything is flooded and no one can get through, but he heard there was a shelter that needed him, and so he's going to try. So he was en route there at the time of this report. Very good-hearted guy, Tony Alsop. These terrible things, so often they bring out the worst in humanity and the best in humanity. The darkest of times, whether it happens to be war or famine or disease or natural disasters or acts of God or whatever you want to call them, so often they bring out the very best and the very worst. Perhaps you saw the, this latest horrible little ditty. I mentioned the other day about this one woman with her family. They had packed up all their animals, including, I believe, 14 goats, and had headed to higher ground. And then a neighbor of hers told her there were gators in the water back at home. Well, something else that's in the water, or rather on the water back at home, is these huge, huge concentrations of fire ants, islands of fire ants floating through the waters. And it was stated that they were spotted in floodwaters in Houston, following Hurricane Harvey, and also seen in Alabama and South Carolina. Yes, in the South, the Deep South. This is where you get these wonderful fire ants, and of course, much further south than that. But it was stated that if you encounter a floating island of fire ants, stay away. If one of those rafts comes in contact with you or you try to break it apart, it will likely disperse and crawl up you. Uh, Just steer clear. Terrible danger looming on the waters there. Now, I end up, you know, responding to this or that or the other thing in email and uh, petitions and what have you. And I ended up getting a request, a petition request the other day. And I thought it was worthy to be, you know, to be responded to. But as it turned out, the only way to respond to it was by a Facebook posting. And I do not use Facebook and so forth. But what it was concerning was the slaughter, the wholesale slaughter of fin whales off the coasts of Iceland. And... This particular petition, it stated that a certain Icelandic millionaire, Christian Loftsen, apparently 
killed 125 of these endangered fin whales this year. And they were depicting a whale that had been slaughtered, and this petition stated that a fetus was hacked out of this whale and was trashed and so forth. Now, I appreciate the concern for the whales. Unlike the sharks, we're talking about mammals here with whales. They are different, a different thing, aren't they? Really. From a fish, we have whales. And they are intelligent life, especially intelligent. Now, you could say all life is intelligent, but there certainly are degrees. And the, the writer of this particular petition made some claims that I don't know if they're true or not. But I do know that these mammals, this whole species, they are intelligent, highly intelligent. And he or she refers to their emotional capacity and their capacity for love, and so forth. But, you know, I would think that if we can show such compassion and love for the animal kingdom, I would think that we could for humanity, not for the murderous destroyers, but for the innocents and for those that the destroyers prey upon. But can we? Perhaps you saw, but before I get there, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and good and true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever is lacking, erring, is due to me. Perhaps you saw that former Baltimore Health Commissioner, Dr. Leanna Wen, will now take the position of the head honchette of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Oh, my, that is just so outstanding, Leanna. Now, Leanna Wen is a brilliant young woman. She was a prodigy who enrolled at Cal State University at age 13, graduated at 18 with a degree in biochemistry. She also then attended Washington University in St. Louis, prestigious university, and medical school was there. Then she was a fellow at Harvard. And finally, she capped all of that with studying public health at Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. Then she came back to the States and became a professor at George Washington University and worked in the emergency room. I mean, really stellar, truly you know, stellar. And we're talking about somebody extremely intelligent, extremely gifted, and disciplined, and accomplished. 
Very impressive. Well, her most recent stint has been as the Baltimore Health Commissioner. And she has knocked herself out in that capacity to try to make things better in Baltimore. And one of the biggest challenges has been fighting the opioid epidemic. Now, how she has chosen to address it, (laughs) you might take issue with, I might take issue with. But I believe that she is sincerely trying to make a difference. But for her to take over this absolutely, utterly, totally evil organization does not speak well for her. If she was just a dumb bunny, you know, if she was just some deficient dupe, that would be a different matter. This is an extremely intelligent, knowledgeable young woman. But throw the Hippocratic Oath out, tread that underfoot, and become the chief spokesperson, the face of, the head activist for the numero uno induced abortion racket in the world. Outstanding. So this is the first time that dear Planned Parenthood has had a doctor at the helm. Fascinating about that. Way back when, going back some time now, when I conducted my loving, life-sparing public service campaign to widely, effectively communicate the truth of the induced abortion breast cancer link, of the increased incidence of breast cancer directly associated with induced abortion, and most exceedingly, with multiple abortions and or induced abortions at the youngest ages, the first abortion, and so forth, from multitudinous studies. And I caught a firestorm from all of these organizations such as Planned Parenthood and, you know, American Cancer Society and CDC and, of course, the Susan G. Komen Foundation and so forth, Because I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a medical professional. And lo and behold, this is the first time Planned Parenthood has had a medical professional at the helm. Oh, my. Well, it is just, again, just the rampant hypocrisy and dishonesty and deceit and duplicity of dear Planned Parenthood Federation of America who is so cozy, which is so cozy with Susan G. Komen Foundation and (laughs) uh, so many of these, you know, breast cancer awareness organizations. But this dear woman, I hope against hope that her eyes will be open, that the eyes of her spirit will be open concerning the out-and-out evil, the monstrous, butcherous murder of induced abortion. 
I hope and pray they will. There certainly is no excuse for her. She has exceptional intelligence, knowledge, experience, despite her youth. And, you know, she, as all of us, as myself and all of us, will be held accountable after this lifetime for what we have done in this lifetime. And to whom more is given, more shall be required. To whom much is given, much will be required. No, that was not coined by John Fitzgerald Kennedy, JFK. No, it's from the Bible. (laughs) But there has been so much rampant plagiarism of the Word of God. Certainly, William Shakespeare wasn't above plagiarizing the Bible and many others. But in tune with the induced abortion rackets and lobbies, Michael Bloomberg may just grace this nation with the opportunity to elect him president in 2020. That's right. He is studying the feasibility of running for president as a Democrat in 2020. Running as a Democrat, what's the difficulty in that? He's always been an extreme leftist activist, but uh, the problem with running as a Democrat right now is that this new, especially, especially activist, leftist portion of the party that has gone even further to the left than the mainstream Democrat party, uh, they may view him as just not being progressive enough, not being their kind of guy, not agreeing with them right down the line on all of their issues. A former campaign manager for him stated, quote, no one is better suited to be president than Mike Bloomberg. And then he goes on to say, he's the best option by far, then quote. Mm-hmm. Well, billionaire Bloomberg, who did not make his billions from being the noblest of men, the best of men, the godliest of men. In fact, uh, there were any number of issues pertaining to <laughs> sexual harassment. Now, sexual harassment is one of those nebulous things that was created by the left specifically to target people of faith. But when, <laughs> and they will bring those charges with zero foundation and just <laughs> just poison the reputation of the godly. But meanwhile, when a Michael Bloomberg or some other former mayor or two or three of New York City has committed incident after incident after incident, literally committed these incidents and paid off the people, hey, it's no problem. We just can't just go ahead and you know, just sweep that, broom that under the rug, right? And this is the case, of course, with any number of extremely 
notable Democrat U.S. senators and congressmen and presidents. But this is the generation of dope. This is the dope generation. That's right. This is not the communications age. That's behind us. This is not the new media age. No, this is the dope age. This is the pothead age. This is the U.S. gone to pot age. And this one couple, I, I don't know if that's the right term, since, since the police don't seem to understand whether they are a couple or not, and she's uh, seven years older than him. Anyway, they were pulled over, and the three-year-old baby, which at one point is described as uh, they don't know what the relation of the child is to these two adults. <laughs> Elsewhere, uh, it is stated that the child is the baby, you know, is the child of this woman uh, who is the older of the two in the couple. But anyway, the officer comes to the vehicle, pulls the vehicle over, comes up to the vehicle, questions the people, and the three-year-old little girl reached from the back seat, reached under the front seat and retrieved a zippered pouch. And she held it out to the trooper so he could see the contents. And the child revealed the bag to contain marijuana, a pipe and grinder. And this little girl gave the pouch to the trooper who secured it as evidence. Now, I can only think that this little girl is a whole lot smarter than her mama, if that's her mama. But anyway, that's the age in which we live. Hmm. Yes, let's have more legalized marijuana. Instead of just in, oh, I don't know, 2023, how many states is it now? 27 states? Let's have it be nationwide. Let's have it be absolutely, utterly, totally pervasive. Just like legalized gaming, gambling, casinos everywhere. And on that note, On to Donald Trump, our incumbent president. Perhaps you saw this this headline that Gina is great. So crowed our president. Gina is great. Referring to a beautiful woman who supposedly is exceedingly learned and passes herself off, bills herself as being... Let me see. How do they describe her? Hmm. So outstanding. I'm not finding it. I apologize for that. But she has a Ph.D., a doctorate, in human and organizations systems. From where, you ask? From Fielding Graduate University and on line school headquartered in Santa Barbara, California. And her LinkedIn profile not only makes extremely great reference to that, but also just to show you how extremely talented and knowledgeable and, you know, outstanding this woman is, it states that she also has certification in body language interpretation, and hypnotherapy. 
How about them apples, huh? And she's a beautiful woman, as far as I'm concerned. She reminds me of Jennifer Flowers. You remember Jennifer Flowers? Anyway, she reminds me of Jennifer Flowers, who was a very beautiful woman. Uh, Got to say, you know, Bill Clinton uh, did have good taste from time to time. But anyway, this woman's book, she's come out with a book called Mad Politics. And the subtitle is Keeping Your Sanity in a World Gone Crazy, which is hilarious. Gina Loudon. Oh, it is hilarious because her premise in the book is crazy. But anyway, uh, she states, and Sean Hannity is extremely fond of her and uh, just, you know, lauds her greatly. But she states that my book actually uses science and real data and true psychological theory to explain why it is quite possible that this president, that is President Trump, that this president isn't the most sound-minded person to ever occupy the White House. No, that was not my mistake there. That's what it says is in instead of is. (laughs) Uh, Quite possible that this president, President Trump, that he's the most sound-minded person to ever occupy the White House. That's right. More sound-minded than Ronald Reagan, more sound-minded than Abraham Lincoln, more sound-minded than John Adams, more sound-minded than Thomas Jefferson, more sound-minded than George Washington. This man, Donald Trump? <laughs> it's just... It's just, uh, oh my gosh. And she describes herself as a member of the Donald Trump for President Media Advisory Board. Outstanding. But anyway, she had a love fest there on the show with Sean Hannity. And she refers to herself as Dr. Gina. Dr. Gina, it almost sounds like it's something off of the Fraser Crane program. Therefore, followers of the Frasier television series. Yes, really outstanding. Well, she also likes to call herself America's favorite psychological expert. But uh, I could go on about that, but I won't. I shan't, except to say this is hilarious, and it is crazy. But... uh, Donald Trump, what does he do? He tweets about that, that Gina is great. And she stated, I might add, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, referring to the president. Where does she say what she says? Oh, I don't know where I put it. But anyway, she said, okay. I believe that about something that he had said and went on to say, and I know him and I know him and I bet she does Uh, beautiful woman. And I bet she does know him, but that's neither here nor there. Perchance you saw about something else crazy Uh, going on over in Australia. Some vicious individual or group of individuals has been 
putting needles, sewing-type needles and other kinds of needles in strawberries. And the way this was discovered was that one man was taken to the hospital in tremendous pain, and they discovered that the fruit that he had eaten, which was from a supermarket in Queensland State, that it uh, had these foreign objects. So a statement that was made by the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palachuk, stated, quote, whoever is behind this is not just putting families at risk across Queensland and the rest of Australia. They are putting an entire industry at risk. Indeed. Indeed. And what's the intention here? Is it to murder multitudes of people? Or is it chiefly to terrorize a great many people? Or is it to destroy this industry? Or is it to do all of the above? Speaking of horror, I came across this very recently, and it's perhaps news to you. It was to me. Horror is the most profitable genre for movie producers. Okay, let me repeat that. Horror is the most profitable genre for producers. They go on to say, there is a large audience who flock to theaters to see any new horror movie that comes out. How about them apples, huh? They are so discriminating that any new horror movie that comes out, they rush out to see. Hmm? Well, this great horror genre It creates sequels, series, franchises. And this one, I think think it's fairly recent. I just saw an advertisement for it the other night. The Purge caused a franchise that made over, I don't know, in the vicinity, $320 million. Doesn't sound like that much money, you know, comparatively. But it'd be one thing for one movie, but a franchise? What it reminds me of, among other things, something that I had referred to previously, this man who was an extremely, extremely successful, prodigious Hollywood producer, and this is his genre of choice, horror movies, slasher movies, monstrous, sadistic, vicious, satanic fare. And he's from the Middle East, and he had a very, very beautiful daughter. And she was traveling, I believe, with him. But while she was, if I remember correctly, at an airport in Jordan, I think, Jordan or Lebanon, what have you, there was a terrorist bombing, and she was slain. She was murdered by bomb. Now, that might seem like something completely disjointed. Terrible, terrible things 
happened to the best of people. And as far as I know, I have no reason to assume that this woman wasn't a good person. But her daddy-o, he made all of his money, all of his blood money, or a great, great amount of it, majority of it, from feeding the bloodlust of people. Now, sure, there are a great many people, undoubtedly, who are fans to the nth degree of horror, of the horror genre, who are not themselves, never will be, a vicious, murderous destroyer, right? Maybe. But there certainly are many that are and that will be and that take their marching orders from these terrible, abominable things and that learn their craft from the same and that imitate it whether it happens to be pornographic snuff films or whether it happens to be these terrible slasher movies. But it is a genre that it's so prevalent. And almost all of the young actresses, especially actors and actresses, but especially the actresses who, of course, don't go by the name actress anymore, but by actor, so many of them appear in them. Why? Because all that's required of a girl, of a young woman, of an actress, is that she be pretty. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so there are always roles for those, you know. And it's terrible. If you imagine that these monstrous, evil entertainments do not have murderous torturous, satanic, destructive results, you really are deceiving yourself. You really are in denial. Speaking of these terrible things, a precious young woman, 22 years of age, Colin Daniel Richards' victim or latest victim, was golfing at Iowa State University. She's from Spain. But she had the terrible misfortune of this terrible creature, whom I have just named Colin Daniel Richards, of him being thereabouts. He and other homeless people, drifters, drifting in, drifting out, they were camping adjacent to the golf course. This woman is a championship collegiate golfer from Spain. Beautiful young woman, Celia Barquin Arozomena, a student at Iowa State University. Well, this terrible, evil fellow, Colin, an acquaintance of his, told investigators that the suspect had said to them in recent days that he had an urge to rape and kill a woman. Told them that while they were walking on a trail near the golf course. Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, that acquaintance needs to be prosecuted as an accessory? Don't you think? Maybe, just maybe. Probably won't be but absolutely should be. (laughs) 
but not in this good nation, this great nation, this just nation, where these precious ones, like Celia, can be attacked and murdered by these monsters for whom there is never deterrent examples that this is what's going to happen to you and swiftly if you try this. No, we can't have that. That just would be wrong and inhumane. Yes. Meanwhile, in Iowa, again, just like Iowa from Molly, Cecilia Tibbetts, and this Celia, so too there was a woman who, way back when in 71, Maureen Brubaker Farley, just a teenager, married a fellow whom she probably shouldn't have, mother didn't want her to, and he was arrested, put in penitentiary, and she followed him to outside of where that was, and she got a job and a place, and she had to visit him and so forth, and lo and behold, away from her family, she wound up being kidnapped, raped, and murdered. And it is a cold case to this day. That was 1971. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.